Thanks for stopping by. This is Salesforce Simplified, the podcast from Ad Victorium Solutions. Well, hello and welcome, everyone. I'm Mike Boyle from Ad Victorium Solutions, and I am really, really excited for today's topic. It's technology trends, today's biggest buzz topics, as well as the technology trends that uh, could be on the horizon for Salesforce. And to discuss these topics for this episode of Salesforce Simplified, it's my great honor to welcome the founder and co-editor of London-based Salesforce Ben, Ben McCarthy, who is also a non-executive director at Cloud Orca, a London-based consultancy. And I'm also thrilled to welcome the president of Ad Victorium Solutions, Brian Mize. Gentlemen, good day. Thank you for joining us. Welcome. Thank you, Thank Mike. You for the Thanks for inviting me on. Great, great to have you both with us. So we have, uh, guys, as you know, seven or eight tech trend topics that we want to chat about here on the on the program. Uh, and the first one is one that is not unfamiliar to most folks, and that's artificial intelligence or AI. And uh, Ben, what's going on with AI today? What are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, so I guess my knowledge of, of AI is, is mostly restricted to Salesforce kind of be it living and breathing in the Salesforce world. Um, but I think it's really exciting. I, I think Salesforce obviously went on that massive uh, AI acquisition spree. Um, God, was it 2017, 2018? I think they acquired about 12 companies, um, all focused around AI. And then we saw a slow kind of rollout of all these AI features in every single one of their clouds, which is um, which was obviously called Einstein as, as the AI platform. Um, and so I think I think there's a huge amount of potential still, and I don't think we've reached kind of a, a peak of implementation. Um, I think Salesforce released some stats the other day of how many predictions their AI engines were completing every day, and it was it was an astounding amount. Um, but I'm not seeing kind of uh, AI AI in every single implementation. Um, I think something that would definitely help this is a couple of releases ago, Salesforce brought out kind of, I can't remember the exact names of them, but um, generic models that um, smaller organizations could use. Because before they brought out that, you had to have something like, let's take opportunities in Salesforce, for example. You needed something like, uh, I can't remember the exact number, but 500 or, or something like that, closed one opportunities to give the, the AI engines enough data to be able to get some, to glean some insights on um, open opportunities to tell you how likely it was going to close or not. Um, but they brought out these kind of generic models, um, which I assume are, are kind of generated from the huge amounts of data they, they have. So I think that's a real step forward because it's going to allow smaller, um, small businesses, medium businesses to be able to implement AI. Um, but I, I think the amount of features that Salesforce has brought out, out now, like one that comes to mind is uh, the prediction engine in marketing cloud. So it can kind of uh, choose which journey to send customers on based on loads of data points, um, I think is really cool. Um, so yeah, I, I think we're starting to see some practical implications of it, but I think there is a, is a huge, uh, huge amount to go when it comes to AI and implementing it in organizations. And Brian, what are your thoughts on where AI is today? What's going on? Certainly agree with uh, with everything that Ben said. I think as we look back over the last few years, especially uh, as the pandemic has taken hold about two years ago now, uh, we've seen a huge increase in AI as it pertains not just to Salesforce, but I think across uh, across the world with remote workforces and people who still, uh, as they interact with businesses, they still want that that person feel, and that's uh, that's really one of the benefits of AI is the ability to to sometimes have that. 
the ability for people on the other end to make better decisions and to, to provide a better experience overall. I think some of the challenges with it will be, and moving forward, certainly we are, I think, on the leading edge of it in many ways. Moving forward, certainly the ethics around it, making sure that customers still feel like they are getting that that white glove experience, if you will, that they're still interacting with a person. AI, at the end of the day, uh, people still aren't fully comfortable with it for a number of reasons. They want to know that they have a person on the other end. And I think uh, with what Salesforce is doing with AI and, and bots and uh, a number of other avenues, they're still able to deliver that. So I think that is going to be really where the benefit is, is doing more with fewer people uh, and taking care of broader expanses of your audience telling your story a little bit better through AI. Brian, the next topic is one that is no longer just relegated to <clears throat> IT teams. I mean, businesses from, from top to bottom, doesn't matter who, are concerned with cyber security. What do you see going on with cybersecurity these days? Well, uh, when we talk again about what Salesforce has done with it through Shield and uh, through a number of other areas of protecting your data, multi-factor authentication, uh, making sure that you can lock down access to your systems where they are. These are all designed to do what, um, to take measures to enhance cybersecurity, making sure that your data is safe wherever it is. And, and again, we see that across um, all areas of society, across all governments worldwide. Governments are forming teams of cybersecurity professionals in various places so that National data all the way down to individual data can be protected. We have border lines that data can't cross from one country to another, one geo to another. Uh, protecting that uh, in a way that people know that when they're interacting with a company, when they're interacting with a business, when they are giving their data away, that it's going to be safe, it's going to be protected, uh, and it's going to be treated uh, at, with the value that it really is. That is their identity when they're online. So. Uh, cybersecurity, as AI continues to increase, so will cybersecurity because, you again, you have more data, you have more data flowing back and forth, which gives more uh, potential for data breaches, more potential for um, exploiting weaknesses in systems. Uh, these two things are going to grow together as we look at the future of it. The next tech trend on our list is one that's called no-code, low-code, and in particular, with low-code, Gardner predicts that 65% of application development activity will be low-code by 2024. Ben, how are you feeling about no-code, low-code? Yeah, I think it's a, a really exciting time for low-code, no-code. So most people in the Salesforce ecosystem will be aware that Salesforce are phasing out their workflow rules uh, and process builder automation tools in favor of Flow. Um, so retiring those. And I mean, for the past kind of two, three years, uh, Salesforce has only been updating the Flow tool. And a lot of people kind of, I mean, Flow is the most powerful automation tool that you have, uh, declarative low-code tool that you have on on Salesforce. Um, and, you know, I think there's an argument that could say Apex and, you know, coding languages in the future could become, I don't want to say obsolete because I don't think that's true. But, you know, as Gartner predicts, I think a huge amount of development could be done using declarative no-code, low-code tools, um, which would massively speed up development times um, and reduce the need for very expensive developers. So I, I do think that's uh, quite exciting. Something that we've... Um, we've played around with quite a bit this year is a tool called MuleSoft Composer, which 
um, some people might be aware about, which is a, a product built by MuleSoft, which is owned by Salesforce. Um, but it's the first tool they've released, which is a, a low-code, no-code integration product. So um, we've played around with it. We've seen quite a few demos, and it really is as easy as going, right, you know, they have a bunch of pre-built connectors. Uh, you say what you want to integrate with. You say what, you know, what um, parameters you want the integration to fire, what you want it to bring back. You can do loops through it. You can do and-if statements. Um, so it, it's very, very powerful. I think the, the kind of only limitation with it at the moment is that uh, you can only use the pre-built connectors that Salesforce have rolled out. But, you know, they've got about 20 now, including NetSuite, Jira, um, Salesforce to Salesforce. So, you know, some really big names in there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's really exciting. And, you know, I, th I think it is a topic on everyone's mind is how much will we rely on developers in the future? Um, and I mean, people have kind of been saying that for years when it comes to Salesforce, you know, they you brought out Lightning, which, uh, which um, allowed you to customize the UI a lot more than you could in Salesforce Classic, but you still need developers to build those really custom uh, UIs. So, you know, maybe the, maybe the trend of you will always need a developer will continue. Um, and maybe low code, no code will just kind of replace some of the declarative tools that we've got now. But, um, but yeah, I think it's interesting to see how it develops. And Brian, what are your thoughts on low code, no code? I completely agree again with what Ben said. I think uh, as we look at enterprise solutions, low code, no code, uh, especially in the Salesforce ecosystem, can get you most of the way there. But the need to have a developer to do uh, some of the really custom stuff as it grows, certainly uh, at least at least for the foreseeable future, that will be a need. Low code, no code, Salesforce has done a great job, whether we're talking about validation rules or uh, app builders on taking what at one time, if you go back maybe five or, or eight years and, and go into an enterprise, people there would have to submit requests to their IT department. I need you to build this report. I need you to create this. I need you to update this. And you've found really a growth of um, uh, IT shops, if you will, uh, secret subversive IT shops maybe, uh, sitting in corners of all different areas of business who were doing those little things. They weren't they weren't developers. They didn't have the experience that the IT department had, but they had enough to move the business that much further down the line. And that's where no code, low code is benefiting businesses today are those people who would sit in the corners and do those things. Now they're brought to the table. They can do the things. They can move the needle. They can take the business from uh, point A to point uh, B in a much faster way. And they have the business knowledge, so they know what the outcome needs to be. Uh, we're going to see that continue to grow, continue to expand uh, as we move ahead. In fact, uh, if we go back just a couple of topics, even AI is getting involved in that. And AI will be able to spin some of these things up as we move ahead as well. Uh, so you'll be able to control your AI. Your AI will write your code. You'll end up with some uh, some really great uh, products out of it that way. This is a trend that doesn't go away. It's a trend that continues to grow. Uh, and it's a trend that uh, is, uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited to see uh, how far we can take it. Well, guys, continuing with the uh, alphabet game here, um, speaking uh, about AR and VR, augmented reality and virtual reality, Ben, I wanted to get your thoughts on where things stand with those two things here in 2022. Yeah, I, th I think it's super early days still. I mean, obviously, uh, Facebook have rebranded to Meta and are, are building out what what they think is going to be the future, which is the metaverse, which we're all going to kind of uh, quote unquote live in in the, in the future. 
Um, but I still think it's very early days. Like I use VR for, for gaming at home and the headsets as they stand at the moment, you can't wear them for more than an hour. Like your neck hurts. It's just, you know, you've got this kind of half a kilogram weight on your face um, and it kind of makes your eyes hurt after a while as well. That's what I think anyway. Um, so yeah, I think it's very early days, but I think it's very exciting, the potential in the future. So, you know, if the metaverse does happen, um, instead of Google Meets, instead of Zooms, you know, we, we could be having kind of VR, AR type meetings in the metaverse where we're walking around, we're shaking hands with people and, um, you know, talking to people with with uh, with really good graphics that makes it seem like real life. Um, it kind of seems like a, a logical evolution from where we've come from in the technology world and where we're heading. So I think... Um, Although Meta are getting a lot of ridicule and, the, and their stock price is massively down, I think they are probably onto something, and I think it's kind of inevitable. But then I also kind of think that we we could just be, be seeing another kind of three D TV uh, trend here. You know, those popped up about five five six years no, probably longer than that, ten years ago or something like that. Everyone hated them, and then they they died and, and went away. Um, so we could be seeing that, but I think I'm probably on the side of, of the metaverse actually happening and, you know, us gaming and having some of our personal life and work life in the metaverse. Um, something that I did see that was quite cool the other day was a friend of mine showed me an app that they're building, which was um, it was performing sales training in the metaverse. So it was kind of giving salespeople uh, a training environment. And obviously, when you're when you're in VR, for anyone that hasn't done it, it is extremely realistic. It's very immersive, and it feels like you are wherever the VR places you. Um, so I thought that was a, that was the kind of first, um, I guess, kind of workplace um, example I've seen for something in VR, which is you know not above and beyond just meetings, but was like a sales training scenario kind of game, which I think was quite cool. But yeah, very early days, I think. Gotcha. You are listening to the Salesforce Simplified podcast from Advictorium Solutions. I'm Mike Boyle, and our guests today are the founder and co-editor of London-based Salesforce Ben, Ben McCarthy, also the non-executive director at Cloud Orca, a London-based consultancy, and our president here at Advictorium Solutions, Brian Mize. Brian, I wanted to ask you next about distributed cloud. Um, and for those who don't really understand what that is, maybe you could talk a little bit about what it is and what your vision is for 2022 sure. and beyond. Uh, distributed cloud really is the ability to uh, take uh, computing needs, resources, uh, storage um, cycles, and distribute those across, whether we're talking public clouds, private clouds, but distribute them uh, across broad ranges. What that gives the end user or the customer the ability to do is to get uh, to flex, to scale. You need more processing time. You need more processing capability. You can scale up. If you need less, you can scale down. But it gives you some flexibility, and it takes greater advantage of the resources that are out there and available. If we go back uh, to the 90s, almost everything was on-premise. So you had your servers in a server room, and you had all of your applications running on one or more servers, maybe you load balance them out and you had your end users that would use uh, either dumb terminals or other avenues to access those. And then really towards the late 90s, we saw the invent uh, or the advent really of uh, distributed cloud computing. And Salesforce was uh, on the cutting edge of that with building the data pods and, and giving access to, to your system and your data uh, really across the country where you might happen to be through North American pods and then globally as well. Uh, that expanded out from on-premise to, to public cloud to uh, 
now we have edge computing uh, where you can uh, conduct a, a large portion of the computations, a large portion of the data, uh, for example, right on your smartphone. You, t- you do the work on your smartphone, your smartphone syncs up to the cloud, and then it, uh, it gets stored where it needs to. As we look ahead, Salesforce makes advantage or takes advantage and offers some edge computing, certainly some distributed cloud. And the goal of it all is to take the data, to take the processing, to take the need and get it as close to the end user as it can be so that you have faster time, you have faster response time, you have uh, quicker throughput on what you need. You can make the decisions when you need to make them and you can make them much faster. Uh, public cloud, private cloud, uh, uh, combination having some on-prem work there as well, and then bringing edge to it. Uh, that's going to continue to expand as well. And that has um, taken on new life, if you will, even as the pandemic started through streaming services, Hulu, and uh, all of the others that are out there needing to get their data closer to the end user so that the internet can continue to function for, for business and for end user alike. Ben, for you, um, one that I don't know, could it maybe have ramped up a little bit? The, the talk of locationless organizations um, be, because of the pandemic? Or are we starting to hear that term, locationless organizations, more as a result? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I think obviously that the entire globe kind of went through some sort of version of, uh, well, most, especially businesses and B2B, you know, going through having, uh, you know, being officeless for uh quite a good portion of the past couple of years. So I think um, a lot of us were living and breathing it, but I definitely think that uh, the trend is going to continue. Um, and, and I think this is for the better. You know, I, I remember getting asked a few a few weeks ago, what some benefits out of the pandemic? And I thought, you know, this definitely is one. It's accelerated the, the mindset of, I guess, older school uh, companies that don't think employees should be trusted to work from home. Um, and, you know, I've always been a huge fan of flexible working um, and, you know, working from home, even if it's not constantly, but having the option to. I just think it's it makes for a better work-life balance and allows you to get things done in at home that you might not otherwise be able to do if you're at work five days a week. Um, so I, I definitely think we are we are living and breathing this. And obviously, Salesforce is is kind of at the heart of this. Um, you know, you need a any any companies that were on, I don't know, Excel or, you know, on premise servers or something like that still, you know, they it just accelerated the the digital transformation they were inevitably going to have at some stage. Um, and towards the end of 2020, Salesforce acquired Slack. Um, and it took a while for that acquisition to go through. I think it completed kind of, I think it took a year or, or 10 months or something like that. Um, but, you know, now they, they're starting to integrate the products more. They've come up with their whole digital HQ message, um, which they're, they're currently using to sell Slack as well as the wider platform, um, which as, essentially, I suppose, digital HQ is, is pretty much the same as kind of loca- locationless organizations. Um, and, and I don't think, I don't think, you know, offices are going to go away forever i think you know meeting in person i mean i work from home at the moment and you know i really look forward to the time i have an in-person meeting which i kind of think is the way it should be as opposed to you know not wanting to go to them for whatever reason um so yeah i i'm really um really positive about locationless organizations and i think tools like slack um tool and, and especially when when tools like slack are integrated with a crm like salesforce um it just makes makes things very seamless and for anyone that was i know a lot of people you know when when we were 
going through the pandemic were worried that collaboration and productivity and all these things within teams would kind of drop off. But I don't think we've seen that at all. Um, in fact, I I remember Salesforce, um, Gavin Patterson, I think he's C- CRO globally, um, said that they've actually seen an uptick in meetings with decision makers since uh, the pandemic. And I can only I can only imagine that this is because maybe decision makers are, uh, are, are happier to meet remotely instead of committing for a meeting where people are flying over from, you know, in the UK, they would fly over from Ireland to meet people in the UK. Um, you know, it's kind of asking a lot of someone and you might be less keen to do that, but just hopping on a quick call to discuss something, you know, that people are happier to do. So, um, yeah, I think it's a very positive thing. And I think, um, you know, I think we'll see more of it in the future. The uh, next uh, technology trend on our list, Ben, is um, increase in demand for certifications. Now, I- I'm sure you're like me. I love going on, you know, board like boards like LinkedIn or uh, other tech boards and having somebody, you know, put up their brand new, you know, their their brand new certificate, and you're proud of them and you congratulate them, and you, you just really feel really good for them. So, um, talk a little bit about this increase in demand for certifications because it's something you know a whole heck of a lot about you deal with it every day at salesforce ben yeah so we've always i mean we're uh, coming up to be eight years old now and we've always liked posting about certifications um giving people tips and, and and promoting what they can do for your career um and i think we've we've definitely seen a shift over the past few years and i think people in the salesforce uh, people in the salesforce ecosystem have thought this for a while but they've they've basically there's been a trend of people not wanting thinking that university degrees aren't necessarily uh, a requirement anymore and a salesforce certification can be a substitute for that um and while i mean i did an it degree at uni and you know it did help me massively in the in the salesforce world because i had a lot of kind of the, the background knowledge um but when i first joined salesforce i was i went into a graduate class and i was the only one that was had an it background uh, people had a, a politics degrees geography degrees english degrees you know none of which would really give you any skills for a technical salesforce job but it didn't really matter because you know as long as you're you're smart and you're dedicated to learning a new skill you can get certified in salesforce and then you know with a bit of um with a bit of luck or with a, with a bit of um, experience, you can quite easily land yourself a job without a degree. Um, when I used to run a Salesforce consultancy, we we never looked at a degree because it just it just wasn't necessary. Um, we would just look for the, their Salesforce experience. Um, so I can only really speak to the to the demand and demand for certifications in Salesforce. Um, but I think a lot of people are, are going through this mind shift now where a university degree isn't necessary. Um, and if Salesforce is to continue growing at the rate that it is, it's going to need so many net new people mm-hmm. from outside the ecosystem to train up. Um, and, you know, I, I think, um, you know, if, if you're just kind of choosing people with degrees, then I, I don't think that's the way to go. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's it's um, it's very right that there's a there's an increase in demand for certifications because, um, yeah, they can help people land jobs in tech. And um, Brian, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I know you're just as proud uh, every time you see, you know, somebody on our team, you know, getting a new certificate. Absolutely. Uh, and I'll um, echo what Ben said. We have hired uh, people here at Advic that have degrees that don't have degrees. I myself, uh, very similarly, uh, have a degree in computer science. And when I got into the Salesforce ecosystem way back in 2002, 2003, um, there were no certifications, but as we moved ahead and finding people that could do the work and then making sure that they had the capability and getting them the training and then 
certainly Trailhead coming online and uh, a host of other avenues that Salesforce has made this training available to people wherever they happen to be in life if they just take the step forward. If they go through the training, they get the certification. And then here at AdBig, we have a great program where we recruit directly out of colleges uh, and out of the Pathfinder program, bringing people on board and making sure that they get the training, that they are able to take the certification. And then, and this is really key to it, that they're able to get the experience for the certification that they have. You can have 10 certifications, but with no experience, uh, it becomes really difficult to go into an enterprise or to go into a, a larger business and affect change because you just haven't seen uh, some of the work done across the board. So it's the combination of those two things that become more important than the degree, I think, over time. But uh, we still do value the degree. Certainly, if somebody has that, it gives us uh, a different way of looking at things sometimes. But the certifications going to continue to grow, going to continue to be a must. The last tech trend I wanted to discuss with you two today um, is really in the Salesforce world, what you see um, going on um, with Salesforce and what, what might be coming from them. Ben, you wrote a terrific blog the other day about Salesforce NFT cloud. Um, I'm just wondering, would you put that in a trend coming? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's obviously a bit controversial, which is kind of why I wrote the article mm. because there was, you know, there was a huge amount of I would say mostly negative opinions flying around as soon as they they announce that, um, and there's a, there's currently a, a petition going around in t- inside of Salesforce asking them not to sell it for environmental reasons because the blockchain and NFTs built on Ethereum is um, takes a huge amount of power and isn't environmentally sustainable. Um, but I don't think the comments were kind of reacting to that. I just think, I don't know, I, I just think people have quite, quite a negative idea about NFTs, possibly because they just hear it as a buzzword and don't really understand it. Um, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence. I think, um, I think there are a, a quite a few negatives around NFTs at the moment. I, I think to some degree, a lot of NFTs are kind of Ponzi schemes where they, they get as many people to buy them as, as possible, pump up the price. And, and you know, I would imagine then uh, the, the people who make them or people have the most would sell them um, and then walk away with, with quite a bit of profit. Um, but I also think there's a huge amount of practical application to, to with that mm-hmm. NFTs for independent artists to sell directly to the public. Um, something that it keeps being talked about is the way that uh, artists like recording artists can put up their their songs via an NFT, and then anyone that uses them, they would get paid a certain amount of royalties, things like that. And I don't know how these things would be implemented in a practical sense, but um, I, th- I think it is really exciting. And I think you know, Salesforce always try and be on the cutting edge of whatever is going on in the general market. So, um, so I think it's pretty cool they d- developed this, but I think the sustainability issue, especially when they've just announced sustainability as one of their fifth core values for the entire company, is something that's going to be a bit hard to get around. But I believe they've come out saying that they will offset uh, any... Um, any uh, you know carbon emissions and things like that generated by NFTs um, with other initiatives. So you know I th- I'm not sure if they kind of um, came out with that after the the petition started going around. But um, yeah, I- I'm excited by. It. I like to keep an open mind with these things. So I'm looking forward to see, see what Salesforce do with it. And uh, for anybody who's a little confused about NFTs. Um, uh, you know what they are, and I, I highly recommend you reading Ben's article because he he has a whole section where he spells out exactly what it is, and what they are, and what they do. So 
you know, don't don't be frightened by it. Go read the book. <laughs> Brian, Mike. any any thoughts from you on Salesforce tech trends that you see coming down the road? I think uh, Salesforce is going to continue to do what they have done well, and that is look across the enterprise, look across business, look across the needs, and and whether through acquisition or through growing it up uh, internally to find new ways to provide for the needs of business, to provide for the needs of the end user, and to do so in a responsible way that, uh, as Ben said, that is sustainable, that does meet the values that Salesforce lives by. This is going to, we, we've seen this even over the last uh, uh, couple of years with Vaccine Cloud and a host of other things. They're going to continue down that path, looking across MuleSoft acquisition, certainly bringing Slack in. I think as we continue to move ahead, there'll be uh, more and more focus on continuing to keep remote employees engaged, continuing to keep remote employees, remote customers engaged through the uh, B2C, B2B2C, uh, B2B, through all avenues of that. And at the end of the day, providing an experience that is worthy of having the Salesforce name on top of it. Ben and Brian, I want to thank you for sharing your thoughts today on emerging tech trends and also those related to Salesforce. I feel like, you know, we covered a, a, a lot of ground here and we could have probably gone on for hours. So that just means you're going to have to come back again and we'll go deeper. Deal? Get you both back? Sounds good. Absolutely. I'm right, right there. Cool. Cool. Hey, if you want to learn a little bit more about Ben McCarthy and his staff's awesome content, just visit salesforceben.com. Uh, but I suggest you bring your favorite beverage, lots of snacks. You'll be spending lots of time there learning all kinds of stuff, I promise you. And Brian Mize, our president here at Advictorium Solutions, if you'd like to get in touch with Brian, just visit the contact page on our website, which is advic.com. Jot a note there. We'll make sure it gets to Brian. And lastly, if you happen to be a podcaster and you're looking for guests on your podcasts who can talk about all things Salesforce, MuleSoft, technology, some of the things we talked about here today, just contact us here at Advic. We'll hook you up with one of our experts. Again, go to the Contact Us page. Jot us a little note, advic.com. We'll put you in touch with one of our experts. I'm Mike Boyle from Advic. Thank you for joining us for our latest Salesforce Simplified podcast. As always, our next episode is just around the corner. We're glad you stopped by. You've been listening to Salesforce Simplified, the podcast from Advictorium Solutions. Solutions.